This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. People have changed. You can't like yada, yada, yada the past year and a half and pretend that everything is just like it was in 2019. People worked really hard during the pandemic to get their jobs done well in the middle of chaos. They managed all the challenges around them. They took care of their kids while they still met their deadlines. You know, and, and what we're seeing is that employees just aren't going to take it. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. When the last season of The New Way We Work ended, we were at the beginning of the summer and the COVID-19 vaccine had become available to all Americans over 12 years old. The vaccination rate was going up and hospitalizations were going down. It had been over a year since lockdown orders confined our lives to our homes and many of us were starting to reemerge. For a few hopeful weeks, it felt like the end of the pandemic was finally in sight. With that, many companies announced their plans to call their workers back to their offices but then the Delta variant threw a wrench in those plans. The return to the office has become far more complicated. Some companies have paused or slowed down their reopening plans, but many are moving forward with either full or hybrid returns. In this season of The New Way We Work, we will dive into the return to office and the lingering effects that the past 18 months will have on work life. I've said on this show in the past that the pandemic forced many companies into the future of work. Remote and hybrid workplaces were inevitable, but rather than slowly and deliberately arriving there in 10 or 15 years, many were forced into it amid a global crisis. But we are no longer in triage mode. As millions navigate the next phase of work life, it's time to be much more thoughtful and intentional than we were back in March 2020. Joining me to discuss how we start to get back to the office and who should and shouldn't be returning is Gwen Moran. Gwen is a frequent contributor to FastCompany.com and the creator of Bloom Anywhere, a website for people who want to move up or move on. Gwen, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Kate. So you've been covering the future of work and all things work life for Fast Company and other publications for over a decade. What are some of the main trends that you're seeing with around the discussions about remote work and hybrid work and return to the office? So I think the first is a measure of confusion. The goalpost has been moved a number of times already. Employees, I think our first deadline was back in July 2020. That was when we were all going back to the office. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then folks were going back to the office by Christmas and by the first of the year. And now, you know, we're looking at new variants and there's still a lot of confusion. But I think one of the key issues that employees have is really around the nuts and bolts. What is the office going to look like when we go back? How is it going to be different? How are we going to have meetings when some folks are in the office and some folks are outside of the office? And, you know, what is, even is our conference room going to look like? So all of these changes are, you know, creating this vision in employees' minds. And I think, you know, that's one of the first things that employers really need to tackle because what you imagine is always worse and scarier than what actually is. You know, over communicating at this point is a really good 
course of action. I think another issue that cannot be ignored is mental health. Employees are struggling. Everyone's been through some measure of trauma over the past nearly two years. And we're seeing response to that. There was a recent Willers Towers Watson study that found that three quarters of employees are paying more attention to mental health benefits, which, you know, that's a really good thing. Um, employees are going to need it. They are going to need more resources, especially as they navigate another change in the workplace. And then finally, around culture. I mean, this is a perennial topic for companies. How are we going to keep our culture, maintain our culture, you know, bring new people into our culture when our entire team is dispersed. I'm so glad that you said the goalposts have moved. Like we keep, and I feel like companies are kind of chomping at the bit to return, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, it can be fall of 2020. Okay. Maybe winter of 2020. Okay. Summer of 2021. Okay. Fall of 2021. Okay. Maybe winter of 2022. But like, I know that a lot of companies are are having this office space that's been sitting there for, as you say, almost two years. And they, they want to start bringing their employees back. They know there's variants. They know that a lot of their employees want to remain remote. They are maybe, you know, considering a hybrid situation. Like what are some of the first steps they should take when they're trying to figure out what does a return to office look like? Yeah. So I think one of the first things that they need to keep in mind is that they're, you know, they're in the middle of two real crises. First, the pandemic, which isn't over. And then there's an enormous labor shortage going on. So you want to keep the talent that you have. And in order to do so, you really need to make employees part of the decision-making process and keep in touch with what they're thinking and what their comfort levels are. Right now, according to BLS data, there are about a million more job, more open jobs than uh, people looking for work. And some of that is mismatched demand. There's a lot in the service sector and retail sector. But, you know, in every sector, it's tough to find the most talented employees. So, you know, in order to hang on to them, again, you're you're really going to need to make them part of the decision-making process. And keep in mind that every time you move the goalpost, you kind of blow up people's lives a little mm-hmm. bit because they have, you know, they have children, they have caregiving responsibilities, perhaps for elders. They, you know, they have cycles that they've gotten into over the past two years or year and a half that are, are going to be hard to interrupt. So, um, you know, communication and then uh, finally solid safety protocols. We're always, you know, it seems like every day there's a new variant. So what does that mean? What is new variant? What are the risk factors there? Are the same safety protocols necessary um, as for other COVID strains? You know, we we need information and keeping your employees informed is, is probably your best course of action. Yeah, that's a really good point about um, communicating and giving notice in a buffer time. I know that, you know, when companies started to talk about return to office like a year ago, a lot of parents especially were like, but school's not in session. What am I going to do? You know, you need this. The rug was pulled out from under us in in March 2020. And we all know what a how what the effect of that was. We can't, you know, pull the rug out from under people now and have it, you know, a flip a switch flip and go back to normal. And, and that I think that over communicating or, or just communicating very clearly and giving buffer time is a great first step. And you met, you mentioned safety protocols. And I think the biggest 
thing that everybody thinks of when they think about COVID safety is vaccine mandates. And a lot of companies where every day we're getting more news of another company that's requiring vaccines or making it either a condition of employment or a full stop or a condition of returning to, to the workplace. Of course, it's also gotten a lot of pushback. Can you help parse out the legal confusion around both the legal confusion around vaccine mandates and also kind of just employer best practices and as you know, if an employer's contemplating, should they require vaccines for people to return to the office? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll first make the disclaimer that obviously I'm not an attorney, but, <laughs> um, uh, but the short answer is that yes, in most cases, an, a company can legally require vaccines unless you live in an area that specifically prohibits um, those types of mandates. So right now there is no blanket law in any state against having a vaccine mandate. Um, there's 10 states at last count that have some sort of prohibition on COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Texas is probably the strictest. Uh, they will not allow you to use vaccine status as a decision in hiring and, and there are some other requirements that they have. But, you know, the, the short answer is that, yes, by and large, your company can require vaccines legally. Um, but it doesn't mean it's as simple as that. And the entire issue of vaccines has become so contentious that you really need good policies in place to keep the peace. I recently interviewed Kelly Williams of Slate Law Group in San Diego, and she warned that, you know, you really need some legal counsel here. You should make sure that your harassment policies are up to date and that your employees are aware of them, because even though there's nothing in the law that prevents employees from discussing vaccine status, I mean, obviously, you have work friends and you're going to say, hey, I'm, I'm vaccinated or you know, hey, I have this medical issue and I can't get vaccinated. Um, that type of chit chat is fine, but you never want to have a situation where an employee feels bullied or otherwise harassed because of their vaccine status, especially if they're in compliance with what your company's policies are. That kind of goes into the making the return to office voluntary. So a lot of employers have said, you know, some some are requiring vaccines as a condition of employment, but others are saying, especially for office work, are saying if you choose not to get vaccinated or you're unable to get vaccinated, then you should continue to work remotely. And a lot of employers, Fast Company included, are taking the kind of return to office in general in a more like slow, phased return that's that's voluntary because there are a lot of people who really enjoy being in the office and really actually wanted to get back to the office for various reasons. And then there's a lot of people who want to you know remain remote. But many companies have said that at some point they do want all of their employees back in the office or most of their employees back in the office. And we've covered that there's a lot of like disconnect between employers wanting their employees to return and employees who want to stay remote. What consideration should employers and managers have when they're trying to decide if their employees should stay remote? So I think the first is that people have changed. You can't like yada, yada, yada the past year and a half and <laughs> pretend that everything is just like it was in 2019. People worked really hard during the pandemic to get their jobs done well in the middle of chaos. They managed all the challenges around them. They took care of their kids while they still met their deadlines. You know, and, and what we're seeing is that employees just aren't going to take it. 
there was a flex job survey that found that 60% of women and 52% of men would quit rather than go back to the office full time. And, you know, there are probably about a half dozen surveys similar to that that I've seen. And it really goes back to keeping your employees' needs in the mix when you make decisions. Any sort of blanket mandate probably isn't going to go over very well. You've really got to take stock of what happened over the past year. Were people still as productive as as you expected them to be? Were they performing as well as they did in the office? Did you provide them with the right support for them to do so? And then consider the unspoken reasons. Um, I recently wrote for Fast Company about, you know, those kind of more personal reasons why people don't want to go back to the office. So people with anxiety disorders or sleep disorders are reveling in this time because they can function, you know, they can adjust their schedules, they can block out an hour and grab a nap if they need it. And it's really the type of accommodation that's so simple, but allows people to be their best. I interviewed one individual with addiction issues who, you know, had gotten clean during the pandemic because he wasn't exposed to the environment that had, um, you know, put him at risk. So, you know, people have very real and very personal reasons as well for not wanting to go back. Yeah, that's that's so important to bring up. It's really, you know, we we talked last season on this show a lot about DE&I issues and we talked about accessibility and we talked about disability at work and you know, some not in all ways, some ways the pandemic has not made things easier for people with disabilities, but in a lot of ways it has and and you know, if a company, so many companies right now are trying to tout their the importance and their commitment to DE&I you know, allowing your employees to work in the way that works best for them is a huge part of inclusion. And it's a, you know, a fairly easy way for you to help accommodate those employees is to allow them to work in the way that they work best. If you're an employee, though, so you're on the employee side and your manager or your company is kind of taking that hard line of we want everybody back in the office by X date, how do you approach your manager or your company to, to try to tell them that you want to remain remote? Yeah. So I think you approach it the same way you would approach if you were preparing for a raise or to ask for a raise or a promotion. Think about it the same way. You would gather all of your information. You would make a case for why you deserve this change and how you're adding value. So you would um, you know, you would lay out this case. I have a friend who recently put together a PowerPoint deck for her boss and kind of showed her value, showed the money that she was touching, showed, you know, and, and, it, and it worked because you make your case and you show the benefit. Most managers just want their employees to be in an environment where they're going to perform their best and will accommodate you if they possibly can. Now, there are some offices that are going to want everybody back full time. I think we've seen some very high profile uh, senior leaders who've come out and said that they don't believe that remote work is a sustainable model. But I think, you know, we've seen enough evidence to the contrary. And, you know, at some point you may need to make some tough decisions. Yeah. And I always say, I think that's, that's, great advice of, you know, prepare your case, come with the, with the data, you know, say I've done this many projects. I've been this productive. I've completed these tasks. I would also add to anticipate 
the pushback to anticipate the answer to the question of like, well, but how are you going to collaborate? You know, and and then be able to say, well, here's how I have collaborated in the last year and a half. Here's how I still interact with people and, and come up with good ideas. And like, how are you going to manage people who are not in the same place of you? It's like, well, here's how I've done it in the past year and a half. And here's, you know, how it can work in, in this situation. I think, you know, if you have an answer to each of these like pushbacks, it's, you have an airtight case, you know, it's really hard to kind of argue your way out of it. And then as you say, you know, it's also, if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. And for a lot of people, as, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of surveys that people have said they would quit if they, if they have to return to the office. This episode of the new way we work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Returning to the office and being remote isn't kind of one size fits all. Like, as I mentioned, like some people love to go into the office. Some people do their best work there. Some people do their best work at home. You know, some people need mentorship. Some people are in different phases of their careers. When it comes to remote work, is there a type of employee or a certain career phase that lends itself better to being remote or versus being in the office? Yeah, so I think employees who are newer to their careers um, and their jobs may benefit from being in person. It's tough to be onboarded to a new company and work with a whole new team without actually, you know, sitting in a room with them and um, making jokes over coffee um, and just having those little nuanced interactions that happen when you're in proximity to each other. Um, It may also be easier for Um, employees who are newer to the workforce to learn soft skills like communication and conflict resolution, negotiation, just by observing people in action. And and those are things you don't really get to do as much in a remote setting. Um, At the same time, I think people who are mid-career, who may be juggling multiple responsibilities and need more emphasis on balance, um, more blending throughout their day, Um, I think those are folks who are very well suited to remote work by and large. I also think that when you're building, when you're focusing on building a network, being with people at least part of the time is facilitates that. Um, Obviously, if you run into someone in the hallway, a senior leader or someone from another team, it's easier to just stop them and say, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Gwen. It's so nice to meet you rather than, you know, trying to schedule a Zoom for five minutes with the CEO of your company. Yeah, that's true. There's, I mean, and that's the, the, the big through line in, in the return to office is like, how do you replicate those casual conversations? How do you replicate water cooler talk and and overheard in the the office idea brainstorms and and those sorts of things those are kind of the most difficult to replicate in a remote environment but i also think that you know we have to change our idea of what's going to happen i mean there are not water coolers anymore. <laughs> I know. We always say water cooler talk. And I'm like, whenever I say it, I'm like, I have never in my life stood around a water cooler. <laughs> but even the shared fridges in the kitchens, you know, our whole approach to community in the office is going to change. And I think this this idealized division that we have that a bunch of us are going to be sitting around around a communal 
um, you know, charcuterie board, and, <laughs> you know, just yep. months away. It's just not happening. So, you know, we're, regardless, we are going to have to find ways to build community that are different than what we did before. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, there's there's one, there's the idealized version that never took place anyways. We never stood around water coolers, but also I worked in an open office and I put headphones on most of the time so I could get my work done. You know, I wasn't, there were some overheard conversations that, you know, sparked things. But by and large, people were, you know, we've written exhaustively about how much people hated open offices because they couldn't focus. So people were commuting into the to the office to then try to shut themselves in an environment where they could just get their work done. So there's, you know, one, it didn't exist in the way that we pictured it. And to your point, you know, we're living in a new world. There won't be these like shared communal you know, moments as much anymore because everything will look different. And a big way that the office is going to look different, a big thing that, you know, topic that we keep talking about is the hybrid office, this kind of like compromise in between, not fully remote, not fully in the office. And it can take a lot of shape. So it's like any given day, some employees are in the office and some are remote. And maybe it's people who permanently work remote or people who come in a few days, but the office is never like everybody there or everybody out. It's attractive to a lot of employees and managers because because it's that it feels like a compromise and it feels like a middle ground, but it has a lot of challenges too. What are some of the considerations that both employees and managers should make when they're when they're thinking about making a hybrid office? Right. So I I think first and foremost, it's, you know, how are we collaborating and communicating when we have half of the people in the office and half of the people, you know, working from home? So you know, what tools are we going to use? Um, is our conference room going to be like, you know, seven people around a table with a big Dr. Doom screen at the end of the table? Or, you know, are we all going to be looking at our laptops at a Zoom meeting, but actually in person? So how do we recreate the experience of, you know, having those passionate conversations around a table with other people when those people may not be there? Those are questions I think we still have to resolve. For a piece about conference rooms for a fast company, I spoke with Phil Simon, um, and he um, he has dip, dived deep into this world, and um, you know he thinks we're going to become less platform agnostic. So it's not going to be do you do Zoom or do you do Teams? Uh, you know, a company is going to pick one and dive all into it, and then use all of the bells and whistles that will be emerging to. Um, make the most of that kind of hybrid collaboration and, you know, maybe even get to the point where we have rooms, you know, virtual rooms where you have people sitting around a table in a digital form that will kind of recreate the experience of being together, even though it will be a little bit different. Um, And it sounds very, you know, out there, but the technology exists and companies are already utilizing it. And then also, you know, to your point earlier, Kate, um, we're basically going to recreate virtually the world we were trying to change when we were in these open offices. So all of this access and all of this communication can be a barrier to actually getting work done. So, you know, there are some organizations that are banning meetings on Wednesday afternoons, um, blocking out time for think time, giving people 
uh, Zoom free Fridays so they don't have to be on camera. You know, finding what works for your office and the fatigue points that your employees are experiencing and addressing them through policy is another really strong move. Yeah, those are great, great tips. And that's, you know, I was actually, I'm fully remote now, but I was kind of hybrid before the pandemic started and how I organized my time or I tried to was that I made my in-office days, the meeting heavy days and my at-home days, the like heads down editing work focus days. And it didn't always work out that way, but I think I'm hearing from a lot of people that as they're thinking about hybrid work, that's really appealing for that exact reason that they found it so difficult to get work done in the office and they might as well use their office time for, for the actual purpose of interacting with people. But as you mentioned, like the other challenge is, so what do you do when half of the people are remote? I know you know, pre- before the pandemic, we've always, you know, fast companies always had remote employees. And I think it wasn't a very great experience for them. I We did what a lot of other companies do. We had the speaker in the middle of the conference table and all of the remote people were like disembodied ghosts that like once in a while would like statically say something and they couldn't really hear very well. And like, obviously that's not going to work. So, you know, I know that companies like GitLab have mentioned that if you're going to do, they're kind of against hybrid work. They, they think you should be all remote, but they said, if you're going to do hybrid work, everybody's got to sit around the conference table with their headphones on and their laptop. And that's the only way to make it equal because there is a lot of, I mean, and that's a challenge that I think companies have to figure out because what about when the meeting ends and then you're walking out with the person next to you and then you're talking about something and then that person who's remote just missed out on that part of the conversation, you know? Yeah, it's a real challenge. Um, And I think we're going to see tools evolve that address some of these issues, but, you know, it's going to require attention and investment and adapting. And, you know, and we've touched on this a little bit, you know, we were talking about kind of like the monolith of the company, you know, decreeing this and the employees fighting back. But a lot of this comes down to like a manager, you know, an employee, like direct relationship level. How does your, you know, if you're a manager, how does your management style need to change when you have you know, hybrid employees or some people who are fully remote or some people in the office. Like, you know, I think that we, again, have, were like thrown into it in March of 2020. And, you know, we didn't, managers didn't really know, like, how do you check up on your employees without like micromanaging them? And how do you manage somebody that is in a totally different place than you? In some ways, it's a real dichotomy. So, Um, managers need to focus more on outcomes when they have remote employees. So, you know, if you see someone in the office, you see they're struggling, you see that, you know, there could be an easier way for them to get their work done. You can advise them on process. Like here's, here's a better way to get the information that you need, or here's a better way to organize meetings, or, you know, here's a bottleneck that we can help you clear up. When you're remote, you don't really see those things as easily. So you've got to focus on the work product, which in a lot of ways is a good thing and what we should all be doing as managers. Um, And then if there are problems with the work product, help the employee trace back the thread and find out where where the issue is happening. And you can solve issues that way. A lot of times employees are very good at figuring out things on their own. So, but this hands-off approach um, can really lead them to develop their own strengths and not fit a paradigm that the office may have. At the same time, when employees are remote, you don't have the insight when they're becoming disengaged or frustrated unless you actually make the time to, to find out 
how they're feeling. So while you need to be more hands off on the process end, on the relationship end and the interpersonal end, you really need to dig in, make sure you make time for connecting one-on-one -on -one with the employee, make sure that they feel comfortable coming to you with problems when they're small rather than when they mushroom into something big and make sure they're still engaged. I mean, you know, we've seen, we've all seen the numbers around employee engagement and, you know, how challenging it is to keep employees engaged. It's a little more challenging in a remote environment where, you know, you may feel disconnected and you may feel like the only time you get feedback is when it's negative. So you really wanna be sure that you're taking that time to give kudos, touch base and open lines of communication. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, mental health is, become it's it's always been something that people haven't talked about much at work but it's you know it's one of those maybe good byproducts of the pandemic that it's actually like bringing it to the forefront and and people you know feel more empowered to talk about it and and are actually realizing that it's something that impacts your work and and that managers need to be aware of and pay attention to i feel like we could talk about this for a very long time it's it's like the topic right now but the pandemic has changed the way that everyone works and some things i'm sure we want to leave behind but what kind of work lessons should we have learned from this time and like what should we take with us as we return to or kind of like craft our new normal for work? You know, during the pandemic, we all became a little more vulnerable and a little more transparent because we had to. All of a sudden we were all in this new situation and you could say, hey, my kid's having trouble with schoolwork, so I need an hour to, you know, to deal with this. Or the cat jumped into the Zoom frame and, everyone was making noise in the background and everyone kind of laughed it off as part of the human experience. So, you know, we smiled a little knowingly, oh, I've been through that. And we all kind of worked together to get things done. Now we're seeing a little bit of compassion fatigue. I was on a call a month or so ago and, you know, you could just see on the faces of some of the people that they were a little less amused by the kids screaming in the background or the dog barking. It's sort of like, come on, haven't you gotten this under control by now? But life hasn't gotten any easier. It hasn't gotten any less challenging to juggle all of these things in our homes. So let's not lose that humanity that became front and center when we were all adapting to this enormous change. I, I think... We all should trust ourselves a little more and give ourselves a little credit for what we've been through over the past year and a half. Um, I mean, we made it this far through a pandemic. We became master problem solvers. We were tech experts. Um, we lived through a real life horror movie and we still hit our deadlines. Um, that never happens in like contagion or you know, whatever. <laughs> you don't see never... them like still writing an article on deadline when it's like there's, you know, disaster That's exactly happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There are no Zoom meetings in those <laughs> yeah. dystopian films. So, um, so, you know, let's trust ourselves a little more and, and give ourselves some credit. And when employees thrive, organizations thrive. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I mean, we keep talking about the great resignation and, and the labor shortages and why people are leaving their jobs. And it keeps coming back to, you know, we've been through through this time. We've realized what it is to 
be valued or not be valued at our jobs. And we just cannot work for an employer who is not going to treat us like human beings and value us like human beings. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's the pushback that, that kind of needed to happen. It's the wake up call that I think companies needed to have. And it's, you know, the, the putting the foot down that employees need to, needed to do it's, you know, they, they're frustrated and this is, this is what it's going to take. Gwen Moran, writer for Fast Company Extraordinaire. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. My pleasure, Kate. Thank you. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this podcast, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We want to hear from you. How do you feel about returning to the office? Did you make the decision to stay remote? Are you transitioning into a new job? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag new way we work. The new way we work is produced by Joshua Christensen. 